Hello, and welcome to Women in Funds, a new series of video interviews that we are launching to celebrate Women's History Month and that will feature female legal and business professionals at fund managers. My name is Zia Magani. I'm a funds and asset management partner in our Los Angeles office, and I will be moderating today's discussion. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by our guest speaker, Heather Henyon. Heather is the founding partner of Mindshift Capital, a venture fund based in Dubai in the U.S. that is investing in early-stage women-led technology companies in the Middle East and globally. She's also the founder of Women's Angel Investor Network, the first and largest women's angel group in the Middle East. Heather has over 100 direct and fund investments in the U.S., Europe, and the Middle East. She started her career on Wall Street and has almost 20 years of experience in finance, technology, and strategy in emerging markets, including as founding CEO of Grameen Jamil Microfinance Limited. Heather, thank you for agreeing to participate in the interview, and we are delighted to have you here and look forward to talking with you. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. So without further ado, let's start with uh, our questions. Uh, why did you decide to go into funds as opposed to any other industry? Well, I really like uh, investing and I, I like early stage investing especially and was a really active uh, angel investor before getting involved in VC and saw you know a way to make an impact through investing, especially focused on um, gender and women founders. And I like deals. I like transactions. I like um, I guess the the thrill of the deal. So that was part of why I chose this. And I, and I suppose starting um, Women's Angel Investor Network, where you are largely proceeding as an investor yourself, or piqued that interest as well to start your own fund or firm um, investing globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was it was a great um, experience in terms of just giving uh, background, knowledge, um, also just exposure to the industry, understanding what to do, what not to do, making mistakes, learning from those mistakes with my my own money, and then now managing other people's money. So, which, um, as you know, has a lot more, uh, <laughs> a lot more risk and, and other things that you've got to think about uh, compared to angel investing. Right. And, and why the Middle East in particular? Well, I've been living in the region for a long time, so I'm from the U.S. originally, but um, but uh, studied in Egypt, worked in Lebanon, where I started uh, Grameen Jamil, and then moved the company to um, Dubai. And and you know, probably counter to what most people in the U.S. and Europe think, there's actually a lot of opportunity with female founders in the the Middle East. Um, my guess is, you know, kind of thirty to forty percent of the entrepreneurs in the region are, are women, which is a much higher percentage than even in Silicon Valley. And I think there's really an opportunity to focus on that population um, and to target female founders exclusively because no one else in the region is doing it. We're really the first and the only gender lens investment fund in MENA. And there's a big opportunity that we're trying to tap into. And, and we've talked about that in the past that uh that female-led startups in that region uh, statistically are are higher as a percentage than outside the region. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. it is a male-dominated industry. Uh, do you face any particular challenges as a professional, both yourself and what you see for your uh, 
your portfolio companies and how do you deal with those? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's pretty much everywhere. It's in, you know, it's in the U.S. Um, because we're women, even though we're half the population, we're still, you know, a small minority of fund managers. Some uh, some refer to uh, women fund managers as an endangered species because there's so, so few of us. Um, and I think especially when we get into venture capital, where even in the U.S., you know, 2% of founding partners are are female um, 8% of partners at VC funds are women. So, and, you know, and Nina, I would say it's probably less than 1%, you know, much, much lower. So I think that the challenge I see, not just in the Middle East, but I think globally is when it comes to allocators and, and, you know, talking to CIOs, some of the, the, um, gatekeepers of family offices of some of the endowments and, um, government-backed funds like the sovereigns, they're still not convinced that there's this opportunity of investing in women. So I think, you know, that's that's the bigger challenge for funds like ours these days. What advice would you give to women professionals uh, on how to thrive in a male-dominated society? Basically, folks who are who want to get in exactly where you are. I think just owning what they're trying to do, not trying to cloak it as something else. Um, I think really being clear about what their mission is and that it might not be exactly what everyone else is doing, but it's still valuable. And there's um, there's a lot of need for more and more women in the industry, whether it's hedge funds, um, personal finance, and there's so many different areas that need more women representation, investment committees, LPACs, um, everywhere. So I think you know, getting more women involved on the investor side in in the whatever um, role is just really critical to moving the needle, uh, because still, at least in our industry, in early stage investing and venture capital, less than two percent of funding is going to female founders. So our thesis and part of why I started Much of Capital a couple of years ago is, you know, if we can change one side of the table, we'll change the other side. So if we get more investors who are focused on women, who understand the kinds of businesses that women build, we're more likely to change the other side of the table and get more capital flowing to women entrepreneurs. And, and let's let's speak to that because part of that is all around gender lens and ensuring diversity of thought while narrowing the funding gap for uh, mm-hmm. female ventures. But GLI, or gender lens investing, uh, is a strategic approach, really, to investing that takes into account some of these gender-based factors that you're talking about, um, including across the investment process, in order to advance gender equality and better inform your investment decisions. Uh, Are you seeing much opportunity across the GLI space, uh, not only in MENA, but globally, given you have a global uh, investment mandate? Yeah, no, I think there's a ton of opportunities. So, I mean, gender lens investing, as you said, is really just a, a screen and there are lots of ways to define it. We define it as at least one female founder or co-founder who's operational in the business. Um, some some funds to define it as, you know, women's health focus or women employees, women on boards, different criteria. But I think given that there hasn't been enough focus on this and forever, basically, there's a massive opportunity to to do a lot more. So especially in certain areas like women's health. So 
Um, I always joke about it, but you know, why is it that women have been using the same products um, for the last you know 50, 60 years, but we've got a new iPhone every two months? So it's at a you know, there's, I think, a lot of opportunity to invest in innovation and, and women's health and beyond. And I guess, you know, so we talk about GLI and the screening process. How rigorous does that process need to be to, to really, I, I guess it's easier if your founders are all female, but if you've got a, a combination of female-led and uh, uh, male-led enterprises or op, uh, startups, uh, how is your diligence process applied to ensure that you've truly got that diversity in your portfolio company and it's not simply at a at an optic level? Thanks, Washington. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot of it is just looking at the team. How do they work together? Now we've got 14 portfolio companies out of this fund, which is our first fund under Mindshift. And, um, you know, I would say half our companies are all female founding teams. The other half are mixed gender teams. And, you know, they're all very different. I mean, it's the relationships, the chemistry. I think part of what I really like about the ability to create change um, when investing at an early stage of a company's cycle is you're not trying to kind of go backwards. You know, you're you're starting from the very beginning when you're really building the company's culture, the the organizational DNA, the way that people hire, recruit, you're thinking about all these factors. Um, and there's so many data points showing that, you know, for example, if you've got a woman in a leadership role, you're twice as likely to have more women employees, whether it's, you know, women developers, programmers, all of these areas where we typically see shortages and there's kind of this narrative that there aren't enough women in these, the, in the pipeline, which we know isn't true. It's, it's that women opt out because they don't, they don't feel welcome. So, or, um, they don't feel that the environment is inclusive to who they are. So I think, you know, that's, what's really important when we're looking at early stage, we know business models will change, but the founding team is really who we're investing in and backing and knowing that that um that kind of openness and i think also you know we we have no problem getting into deals i think often it's we're like overwhelmed and inundated by so much deal flow because we hear over and over again from you know women and men alike that there just aren't enough funds like ours and so they really want us on the cap table they want us to be on boards because we are different we approach the the you know, the, the way that we interact with founders, the way that we're on boards, the way that we support companies um, very differently, I think, than other more traditional VCs have. Um, we like to co-invest. We like syndicating deals. I mean, we have a lot of different nuances that I think make us maybe um, unique when it comes to investing. It, it may be ap not apropos to this discussion, but coming on the heels of uh, the recent uh, hiccups, shall we say, in the banking sector. Uh, there have been a lot <laughs> of in saying, if, and particularly compensation, which has come up um, in the context, for example, in SVB, that uh, more female members on boards uh, would, at most studies show, directly impact the level of compensation, maybe equalize things as well. So 
it's interesting you bring up the point mm-hmm. that some of your startups would like to see more see see funds like yours on not only the cap table but have board representation and some of the diversity that that brings out um, uh, is not only tangible in uh, in in some of the areas we've been talking about, but in very real impact uh, impactful uh, considerations such as compensation and just how an organization flows. But yeah. turning back to, um, I asked you what advice you would give to uh, other female professionals looking to follow in your footsteps. If you could go back in time and give yourself advice, uh, would you yeah. do anything differently than you have done now? I don't think I would do anything differently. I mean, I, I'm a big believer that regret is a use, useless uh, feeling. And I think a lot of this is really the the journey and, you know, the learning process. It's all iterative. So, um, I mean, would I have loved to have had an anchor investor for this fund, a large institution? Sure. You know, I think, you know, the reality is that that just doesn't happen very much for funds like ours. So, um, I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily do things differently. I think the advice that, you know, I, I do often reflect on myself is just don't, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. So when we were going through the recent, you know, SVB crisis, it's sort of hard to keep that in mind because, um, I think fund management is, is extremely complex with lots of risk. Lots of times I wonder why I'm doing this, you know, (laughs) but, uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so maybe that would be my advice. Don't start a fund. <laughs> no, but um, but I think I think it's just it's it's really hard, and you have to just keep telling yourself everything's going to be okay. You know, you're you're doing something you believe in, and there's a reason you're doing it. You're going to do well. I mean, it's hard to remember sometimes when there's COVID. There's you know there there are all of these things that we didn't expect, right? I mean, we did our first closing. Um, I don't know, a week before COVID in February 2020. So could we have predicted that that was going to happen? No, but in the end, you know, our our fund thesis, which is around what we call the rise of the zillennial and new um, next-gen consumers uh, driving disruption amongst traditional business models, especially in certain sectors, including health and wellness tech, um, that massively benefited our fund because... Now half our portfolio is focused on that uh, industry, which, you know, I think might not have been the case pre if COVID hadn't happened. So, um, so I, I think just bearing in mind that a lot of this is very difficult being in a pioneering role is quite difficult because we're doing things that no one's done before. And, and that takes courage, but it's also very stressful as well. So. I think just remembering it's going to be okay, everything's going to be okay. That kind of helps us to keep going and and um, stay with it. And but from where you started to where you are now, have you seen a shift? Are you seeing some of the walls breaking down? And 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 do you feel like someone who would start today, where you started, say three years ago, will have? Not an easy path because there's never an easy path, uh, but an easier path than where you were three years ago. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just uh, there's definitely more. 
I would say, awareness around things like gender lens investing and the opportunity of investing in women. Um, I think there's still a lot more that needs to be done. And one of my frustrations is that there are a lot of smaller um, VC funds like ours, or I wouldn't say a lot, but there are a lot more than there used to be, but we're just not scaling the capital fast enough. So, uh, so that's sort of what I've been thinking about more recently is how do we, how do we do this on a much more accelerated basis, um, versus the slog of raising a small funds, raising another one. And, um, just, you know, after maybe 127 years, there will be some change, you know, how do we accelerate that whole change process so that the next generation can come into these roles and immediately start, um, with larger amounts of capital that can affect women entrepreneurs more dramatically than we're able to right now. Well, I'm going to pivot a bit and talk a bit more nitty gritty shop, which is uh, what trends are you seeing right now in, in your space, uh, both pre and um, the elephant of the room post SVB? Okay. <laughs> um, well, we're definitely, uh, we're, we're, I mean, I think fundraising is taking longer than it did, um, although it was already slowing down with uh, with just the macroeconomic environment and the the kind of inflation and recession and all of the trends that we're seeing globally everywhere. I would say, except for in Dubai, which is its own kind of artificial market, and um, there's not a lot of capital inflow into Dubai, ironically, um, but. In other markets, it's it's been slower, and I think for the later stage companies that are raising um, growth capital, it's much harder. You know, where we've got a couple of companies in our portfolio that are kind of pre-Series B, probably would be raising Series B rounds this year, but they're just trying to extend runway, um, conserve cash, and basically survive uh, this year so that they're able to raise next year. Um, looking into different revenue streams, you know, is a is a big thing. Um, so yeah, I think I think for a lot of us, especially in emerging markets, SVB was such a shock because uh, a lot of you know in a lot of markets where it's just hard to open bank accounts, especially for offshore fund structures like ours, it's just it's not easy and and it takes very long time, you know, six months plus to just open a bank account. The KYC, the compliance processes have gotten much um, stricter and more onerous. So there's a lot more just kind of back office work that's required. Um, and I think people are really spooked. You know, there's really, we had a couple of startups in our portfolio that basically went from, you know, kind of 2 million in the bank to zero overnight with SVB. And you know, we're trying to figure out how to make payroll and all these other um these other issues. So I think there's at least now, you know, they're opening multiple bank accounts, but I think it's really, um, it really, it was a very stressful two weeks. And I think, um, now of course, just the kind of kinds of anxiety that entrepreneurs feel just generally, this has only increased it. Um, so, you know, people so are sort of like, well, what's going to happen next? You know, is, is there right. going to be, I don't know, another, pandemic and is there what's is just the things that you try to control for as an entrepreneur which are already like so hard to plan for now there are all of these things that you can't even predict 
So, um, so I think that there's just, it definitely, there's definitely a, I would say kind of a, um, anxiety hangover, you know, that people are feeling and we're still not really, we don't feel comfortable. Um, there's lack of stability. I think that a lot of, a lot of founders and fund managers are feeling now. Maybe my final question that I wanted to touch upon something you said, Dubai's sort of its own artificial market. I was asked this question just a couple of days ago myself, and the sense I've always yeah. got for Dubai is because a lot of the growth of any particular ecosystem in Dubai is is led um, through a lot of support from the government and top down, that uh, the global slowdown that you're seeing in venture capital, uh, particularly in the Valley and in Europe, while it's still is the case in markets like Dubai is is not as pronounced and not as acute. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I think there's sometimes just a lag. So uh, so what I'm seeing now is the funds are having a harder time raising, but the startups haven't felt the, the pressure yet of the funding crunch. And then in certain markets in the region, like in Saudi, where there's maybe a different um, different amount of funding from government that goes into the sector, there's there's still a lot of liquidity there. So uh, so that we see a lot of startups leaving. You know, for example, Egypt, where there's been massive currency devaluation, and um, foreign investors don't want to put money there because they're not really sure what's going to happen with the economy. So a lot of those companies have, are moving to Riyadh and to Dubai. Um, so I, I think there's it's it's not clear still what the impact will be. And there's also been such an inflow of people from other countries into Dubai um, that I think there that will bring with it its own set of uh, innovation that might be different than what we saw historically and also investment as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to predict really. Um, and then of course the Chinese involvement and there are lots of, I think, um, kind of geopolitical factors that will definitely affect the tech ecosystems and actually for us even exits. So we're much more bullish on some of our um, companies that might be working on acquisition or even uh, a full exit right now because we see, for example, the Japanese have been become quite involved and they're they're very acquisitive in general, and the multiples they pay are much higher than you might find, you know, from other regional or European investors. So I think actually it's an interesting time. It's it's hard to have sort of a long term crystal ball, but I think that uh, there's just a lot of things happening that could be quite positive for the for the region as well. Okay. Well, Heather, thank you so much for participating in our Women in Fund series and for such an insightful conversation. I know I found it very useful and I'm sure our viewers and listeners did as well. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me. It's great to be here and yeah, it was fun. So thank you again. Of course. And have a good day. Mm-hmm.